Bokatov. We're going to start from the beginning of Parshas Re'ei. Thank you for coming. Braving the storm. The non-hurricane hurricane. It's good to see everybody. Okay, Parshas Re'ei. In the Stone Chumash, it's on page 998. We're going to begin from the beginning, which is always a good place to begin. I don't think we studied the beginning of Parshas Re'ei yet before, so we're going to start there. Bracha uklala. Says Moshe, quoting Hashem, speaking on behalf of Hashem. See, I place before you today, bracha uklala. Blessings and curse. A lot of questions you could ask already here. What questions? What bothers you already? What questions do you have? So first of all, what's re'ei? See. You don't see a blessing and a curse. So why is that the verb which is used to describe? See, I place before you a blessing and a curse. Why hayom? What do you mean today? They didn't receive the Torah today. They received the Torah 40 years earlier. Another question. So why today? The question is, re'ei is singular and nifnechem is plural. Another question is that we go from the Lashon Yachid, the singular, to the plural, to the many. So what's going on here? So first of all, what are these brachas and klalos that we're talking about? What are the blessings and curses? So Rashi says, Ha'amuros bahar grizim bahar eval. You know which blessings and curses these are? They're instructed when they come into the land of Israel. They go to these mountains. The Jewish people divide the tribes, six on each mountain. The Levim stand in the middle. They read the blessings and the curses. What happens if we observe God's will? What happens if we neglect God's will? They turn to one mountain. Everyone says, Amen. The brachas are the other mountain. This is a process and procedure of brachos and klalos, blessings and curses that will take place on the mountains. Har Eval, Har Grizim, and Har Eval. So Rashi says, See, I place before you today. This is a reference to these blessings and curses that are going to happen on Har Grizim and Har Eval. That's the opinion of Rashi. But isn't this in the wrong place? Shouldn't this be in Kisovoi then? Oh. Why is it, what's it doing? Oh. So that's there? the opinion of Rashi. So let's see the Ramban. Says the Ramban, Nachmanides. First, as he always does, the Ramban quotes Rashi that the bracha we're talking about, the blessings and curses on Har Grizim, Har Greval, this uh, ritual which is going to take place. This is not correct according to the simple meaning of the text because they were not commanded yet for this. Says the Ramban, rather the interpretation is not this ritual which is destined to take place later. The interpretation is the derech bracha and derech klala. A path, a lifestyle that is blessing and one that is cursed. So what does it mean God says I place before you? Before you means, it's right under your eyes. It's for you to choose. I'm giving you options. Here's a smorg of life. There's choices. It's for you to choose. Later in Sefer Bamidbar in Perak Lamed, we're going to have a different choice placed between... Uh, what did I say? We're going to have a different choice placed between before us. Moshe will then place the choice of life or death, of of good or bad, and that's also the same language. See, I place before you today. So, what's the common denominator? If you see the same language is used in both. See, I place before you life and death, good or evil. And today's parsha. See, I place before you 
blessing or curse. Says the Ramban, the common denominator is we're not talking about some ritual or procedure which is going to take place later on some mountains. We're talking about a general rule of life. This is a life itself. You have a choice whether to live a purpose-driven, mission-driven life, a life of meaning and of purpose, a life of Torah and of mitzvot, a life of empowerment, a life of duty, a life of obligation, a life of enriching yourself and others. That's blessing. Or if you're going to choose to live a selfish life, a life in which all you care about is your own personal pleasure and happiness, a life in which all you care about is yourself, a life in which you feel you are entitled. We spoke about last week, entitlement. A life not of duty and obligation, but a life of rights and entitlements. Then that life will be klala. That life will be a curse. So the Ramban acknowledges, yes, we're going to get to blessings and curses, which are a list and a litany. The people respond amen to the Levim, they acknowledge they've heard them, and so on. We'll get to the specific list of blessing and curses. But before we get to the list, the Ramban takes issue with Rashi, it's a disagreement, and says, no, this Re'eh, if you want to know what it means, see the other times that Re'eh is used. And when Re'eh is used later in Dvarim, it's not used referring to the ritual and procedure of Hargrizim and Hareval, it's talking about a choice of life. And this is a critically important thing to understand in life as a whole. And I, and I always... I, I try to often give this analogy because I think it's what's missing. It's what's missing in the educational system of our youth. It's what's missing in the mentality and the psyche of so many observant Jews today. Our life is not filled with rituals and practices. The Rav, Rabbi Salavechik, often spoke about Judaism does not have ceremonies. We don't believe in ceremonies. Everything that we do is to bring us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is to bring us closer to God. Our entire religion is not a framework of a religion in the sense of do's and don'ts, laws, random, arbitrary rules. It is all a framework that is designed to cultivate and refine a relationship with the Almighty. It's about a relationship. So many people are obsessed with the do's and the don'ts, the rules, what do I do, what I don't do, and they neglect the entire essence of the experience. Shabbos is a perfect example. The do's and don'ts, but what's the essence of the experience of Shabbos? That's the program we're going to do, Slichos Night. We did community conversation last year on prayer. This year we're going to do a community conversation on Shabbos. How to make Shabbos more meaningful. What is Shabbos supposed to be about? And different people find different meaning. The reason it's a community conversation, not a lab rabbi giving a lecture, is we're going to identify different people who represent different ways to benefit to get from out of Shabbos, to get out of Shabbos. And they'll share different people will have a discussion, a dialogue about it. But Shabbos is a prime example. It's, it's, it's an experience which is supposed to transform us, which is supposed to elevate us. All of our life of Torah and mitzvahs is supposed to yield a closer relationship. So, compare it to any other relationship in life which is our series of brochures coming out today, but our three-part rabbinic series, uh, uh, tshuva series for uh, Elo this year, we always focus, we've done tshuva tefillah staka, we've done a bunch of different examples. This year we're doing the different metaphors for a relationship with God, like a f- children to a father, like a servant to a master, like a husband to a wife. So, the, 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 which is the ideal relationship, which is the ideal metaphor? Rabbi Akiva says, Kol ashirim kodashir ashirim kodash kadashim. All of the songs are holy, all the metaphors are holy. But the song of songs, shir ashirim, the love song, a husband and a wife, that's kodash kadashim, that's the holy of holies. That metaphor. Why is that the metaphor that's the holy of holies? Because we're supposed to be in a relationship, a loving, intimate, romantic relationship with the Almighty, with God. So what happens in a relationship? If my wife asks me to do something, and I neglect it, I don't do it. Is there some external punishment that comes my way? 
Sometimes in an unhealthy marriage there can be. But in any normal relationship, what's the punishment for neglecting what my wife asked me to do? That I don't feel close to her. She doesn't feel close to me. Distance in the relationship is the punishment, is a curse. And if I listen to what she says, she listens to what I say, not in a command way, but in a, in a uh, reciprocal love way, in a desire to meet the needs of the other, in a willingness to compromise and sacrifice for the other type of way. So what is the reward? Is it some external reward? She says, could you pick the kids up from carpool tomorrow? Sure. I come home and I find there's a gift. No, there's no gift. You know what the gift is? The bracha, the blessing is... I feel close to my wife. She feels close to me. She knows that I put her needs first. I stopped what I was doing because she asked me to take care of something. So in any relationship, in any healthy relationship, the reward and the punishment don't come from the outside. They're not external. In a healthy relationship, parents and children, husbands and wives, friends, co-workers, in healthy relationship, they're internal. The reward is a feeling of closeness and of intimacy. The punishment is a feeling of distance and having been alienated or alienating the other person. So the same is true. That's what the Ramban says. This Re'eh, see what I put before you today, Brachu Klala, this is not the process and procedure on Hargrizim and Har'eval as Rashi said. Says the Ramban, this is a choice you have in life. Look in front of you at your life. Do you want to embrace a life of meaning and a life of purpose? Do you want to pursue a relationship with the Almighty? Then you know what the result will be? Bracha. You want to neglect the Almighty? You want to pretend there's no relationship with God? You want to ignore and neglect what He asks, what He wants? Then your life will be a life of Klala. This is what it means. The Ramban doesn't say this. But this is what I think it means. Mishnah, Schar Mitzvah, Mitzvah. The reward for a Mitzvah is the Mitzvah. Punishment for an Avera is the Avera. What does that mean? The reward for a Mitzvah is the Mitzvah. What kind of reward is that? Schar Mitzvah, Mitzvah. The reward for the Mitzvah is the Mitzvah. The answer is... Again, if my wife says, could you do A, B, or C for me, I would really mean a lot if you'd stop what you're doing and do A, B, or C, and I choose to do it, the reward isn't some external thing. She doesn't buy me a book or a new tie or, or make a better dinner. There's no, no reward's not some external thing. That's a poor relationship, that's why you're motivated to do it. The reward, schar mitzvah, mitzvah. The reward of doing it is that you've done it, and having done it brought you closer. And the punishment of neglecting it is neglecting it, <laughs> is that it will yield a feeling of distance and alienation. So that's the say I place before you today. That is the Machlokas, Rashi, and the Ramban. Everybody here weighs in on this. It's very beautiful. So let's just, let's go through. Hold off on... There's an I. Who is the I? Oh, so I'll share with you a very interesting, beautiful interpretation. Where did I see this? Oh, beautiful. Says the Balaturim, Re Anochi, Amar Balashan Yachid. Ruth pointed this out. We begin Balashan Yachid. The Ibn Ezra says this also. Re in the singular. Lechol Echad Yedaber. It's speaking to every person. You know why? Don't think as an individual, I don't have to take my relationship with God seriously. I'm going to blend in with the community taking it seriously, and that's good enough. I'm going to hang, I'll be in the zip code of people who are observing. And as long as my zip code and my address is in that zip code, what I do personally doesn't matter. No, says the Ibn Ezra. It does matter. Re'eh, lashon yachid, l'chol echad yadabir. It's talking to every individual. It's not enough to, to be socially observant. It's not enough to identify in an observant community. And again, I'm not talking about the laws of observance. It's not enough to identify with a 
group of people desiring a meaningful relationship with God. You have to desire it. Speaking to every person individually. So the Baal term says the same thing. Speaking to every single person. Don't think, you know what, the rabbis, they have a good relationship with God. Their davening is meaningful. You know what, that righteous, that religious, that holy roller, they have a, relig- a good relationship with God. Me, I go through the motions. I was brought up this way. Send my kids to that school. My address is Montoya Circle. Or my address is Boca Raton Center. That's good enough. No. Everybody is charged with taking their relationships seriously. Oh, says the Balaturim of Yaakov ben Asher. Some say that Moshe is instructing here Yehoshua. You, Joshua, you, Yehoshua, my successor, you are the one who's going to take them into the land. You need to know this choice to give the people this blessing. And that's the singular. In other words, who's the Re'ei? Who was Moshe talking to? So Baal the first interpretation is, he's talking to everybody. But he wants them to understand, he's talking to each of them individually. Second interpretation is, who's this individual Re'ei, the singular person he's talking to? Yoshua. He's telling Yoshua, you're going to bring them over the Yardane, you're going to cross them into Israel, and we'll see in the context of the rest of this parsha. He's about to talk. You're about to go into the yard and here's what you need to do when you get into Israel. Destroy all the idols. Here's what you need to do. Settle the land. So he's talking to Yoshua, says the Balaturim. Re'eh, when you cross the Yardin, tell the people the time has come. It's time to make a choice. Are you going to take your life seriously or not? Are you going to take a relationship with God seriously or not? Is your life about rights and entitlements? Or is your life about duties and obligations? Re'eh, I'm placing before you a choice. And the choice you will make has existential consequences. Will your life be a life of bracha or will your life be a life of klala? Will your life be filled with meaning and purpose? Will it be rewarding and satisfying? Will it be elevating and enriching? Or will your life be empty and hollow? Will your life feel, be a curse? So the second interpretation is he's talking to to Yahushua the third. The reason it's couched in the, in, in the singular is because the brachas and klalos in Dvarim we'll get to that's in the singular as opposed to the one that's mentioned earlier. So since the brachas and klalos are in the singular there so that's why he says it in the singular. Good, so three interpretations why the singular. But says, it continues the Balaturim this relates to what you said. Re'ei anochi Says the Balaturim, Re'ei aser sadibros shepasach ba'anochi v'tekayim oslam ki kol amitzvos klulos b'hem. Re'ei anochi. See the anochi that began the Ten Commandments. Look at the anochi. Re'ei says the Balaturim means see the Ten Commandments in everything that you do in life. The Ten Commandments should be virtually in front of your eyes. They should be the filter through which you measure everything that you do. When evaluating if what you're doing is right or wrong, what does God want of me? Re'eh, look at Anochi. So it's Re'eh, comma, Anochi, comma, Nosin Lifnechem Hayom. See that the Anochi, I am the Lord your God, Anochi means I. See the first of the Ten Commandments, but really all of them, the I am the Lord your God, Nosin Lifnechem Hayom. I'm placing that image before you today. Because <clears throat> that, that's beautiful too. It's so amazing how many realities there are. The I is ourselves. That's another thing. I ah. that it, it, we're looking at our I, our ego, ourselves. 
Uh, so if we okay, beautiful. So you have it for the tape. You have it handy. You have it handy is offering another interpretation. Re'ei, in other words, your attitude towards the anochi can be a bracha or a klala. It's re'ei. Look at yourself, anochi. I'm giving you. So it relates to. I'll get back to it in a second. But you're saying. It wasn't me. I read it. You read it. Okay, you read it. Somewhere, they say. They say. So, so the idea is that Moshe is telling them, I'm placing before you the concept of Anochi. I'm placing before you the concept of I. If you use it correctly, if you realize, Bishvili Nivra Olam, look at what I can do to transform the world. Look, I am a Tzalem Alakim, I'm a piece of God. It's a bracha. If you look at the Anochi and you say, Anochi, it's all about me. It's what I want. It's my happiness, my needs, my desires. So then it's a klala. I'm putting the I, Martin Buber's book, I Thou. I'm putting the I before you today. Your attitude to the I, to the me, will determine whether your life is bracha or klala. If your attitude to the I is, I am endowed with a unique skills, personality, intellect, creativity, and therefore I am obligated to contribute to the world, then your emphasis on the I will be a bracha. And if your attitude to the I is, it's all about me, life's all about me, then your life's going to be a klala. They quote, uh, you know, this is the tension in life. I've heard it quoted in many, many different people's names. I don't know which one's right. They say that a Yid, a Jew, needs to walk around in life with a note in each pocket. Uh-huh. On one pocket it says, For me the world was created. In other words, for me alone, it's worthy God would have created the entire world. That's how significant I am. That's how important, that's how much a, a child of the Almighty it's this week's parsha. I descend from God. I have a piece of God in me. For me alone, it would have been worth creating the whole world. And therefore, look how obligated I am. That's in one pocket. In the other pocket, I am like the dust of the earth. I am nothing. I am dust and ashes. And the trick of life, the secret to life, they say, is to know when you have to reach into which pocket to pull out the little petek, to pull out the little note. When you think you're all that... I'm nothing. And when you start to feel, I'm nothing. What do you mean I'm nothing? The whole world would have been created just for me. Beautiful. I once gave a drasha interpreting this a little bit differently. Not the re'eh, it's anochi I'm placing before you today, but punctuating it a little bit differently. See, you know what I place before you? Hayom. The concept of today. And I once gave a hodrasha that there are two attitudes. Chazal say the two attitudes you could take towards Hayom, to the right now. One could take an attitude of Echol ki machar namus. Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you may die. Enjoy life. Life is so short. We are so transient. Life is so fleeting. But enjoy the moment. Live for the moment. Carpe diem. Live for the moment because who knows what will happen tomorrow. Or you could take an attitude of Imlo achshav that life is so short and so transient who knows what moments we will have take advantage of every moment live in the moment so if you look actually throughout all of Sefer Dvarim you'll see the term Hayom is used over and over and over again and I think what Moshe is emphasizing is live in the moment don't forfeit the moment and concede the moment because you're nostalgic about the past or because you're anticipating with excitement the future too many people forget the present they give up the present because they are living in the past or they're living in the future, neither of which they can any longer control. So what Moshe placed before them was the concept of Hayom. 
Embrace Hayom. Embrace the concept of, of today. Okay, continuing. So what's the bracha? Says the Ibn Ezra. Esa bracha, keep reading the next pasuk. Chavzayin. Esa bracha, Asher tishmuah mitzvos Hashem lokeichem, Asher anochi mitzavah hayom. What's the blessing? What's the blessing in life? If you'll listen to the mitzvos that I, God, am commanding you today. Says the Ibn Ezra, Esa bracha, Asher tishmuah, Ki b'shamachem, Hinei atem mevurachem. Just by being listeners, you are blessed. In other words, this connects a little bit, Yochevi, with the Anochi. If you learn the skill of listening, if you're a listener, you're living a life of blessing. You're going to hear all kinds of things. You're going to learn from others. You're going to see. You're going to be in awe. You're going to absorb. Ki b'shamachem. Esabracha asher tishma'u. Punctuates the Ibn Ezra. The blessing is being a listener. If you learn how to listen, you're living a life of blessing. And what's the klala? What's the 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 uh, opposite? Haklala imlo tishma'u. If you don't know how to listen, if you don't listen to others, if you think you have all the answers and it's all about you and you know everything there is to know and you never have the capacity to listen, you're too absorbed in your own life that you could never stop and listen to others, then your life is a klala. So says the Ibn Ezra, bracha asher tishma'u. Your life is a blessing if you know how to listen. Klala, your life is cursed. Imlo tishma'u. If everyone else is shut off, that your life is so self-absorbed, you have all of the answers, that your life is all about you. That's the way the Ibn Ezra interprets the bracha and the klala. Says the... Hmm, who should we look at? Um, not the Orachayim. Well, look, yeah, look at the Orachayim Apostle Chavches. Not what I, the one I was going to show you, but the Orachayim Apostle Chavches says the following. Haklala imlo tishma'u, kind of expanding on what the Ibn Ezra just said. Perish. Hamonia atzmo mishmias hatorah, harehu mikulal me'atzmo. Somebody who cuts themselves off from hearing the messages of Torah has essentially cursed themselves. Or put themselves in a position of a cursed lifestyle. In other words, again, if you cut yourself off from listening to the messages of Torah, then look at the curse you brought in your life. Look at what you've denied yourself. When you study Torah, it inspires, it motivates, it elevates. It transforms your life to a meaningful life. You learn how to be mindful. You learn how to be purposeful. You learn how to relate to time, to food, to people, to pleasure. Look how it informs and inspires life. So if you cut yourself off, if you choose not to listen, the result is you've brought the curse upon yourself. And again, what's the curse? Please understand, it's not that lightning is going to strike you down. It's not that bad things are going to happen to you. You know what the curse is? You're missing all of this good that you could have. It's like if some great stock guru has incredible stock tips and you choose not to listen to them. What's the punishment? What's the curse? You miss out. Everyone else's stock portfolios are going through the roof, making money, earning wealth, and you missed out. And that in itself, missing out on that tip is a curse. You can have a curse which is not lightning striking or a punishment. You can have a curse which is missing out on something great. 
So that's what the Orchayim is saying. Missing out on the way that Torah inspires is in itself a curse. But I wanted to show you the Kliyakar, because Ruth asked the question. We went from the singular to the plural. Re'eh in the singular. The Balaturim gave us three interpretations why Lashon Yachid. But then we go to the, pl- the plural. Anochi nosein lifnechem before you. Not lifanecha in the singular. Lifnechem in the plural. Why do we switch from the singular to the plural? Says the Kliyakar. Rav Lunshitz. He says, Re'eh kemedaber liyachid. Lifnechem kemedaber lirabim. Re'eh was speaking to the singular. Lifnechem before you was to the plural. The Fisha Amru Razal because our rabbis taught in Kedushin Daf Mem Omad Beis Liyolam Yidam Yidmela Adam Kiilu Hayakola Ola Mechta Mechta Zuchuyos Vavonos Asim Mitzvah Asim Mitzvah Achas Yichrias Atzma Veskola Olam Lekavschus. A person should live their entire life with the following attitude. And we're coming rapidly upon the month of Elul. And the Rambam writes this in terms of the month of Elul, purpose of the shofar. A person should live life thinking that the entire world is. 50-50 lays in the balance the scales are even live life saying this past week Monday and Tuesday there's a category 3 possibly 4 hurricane coming and it coming the cone thank God we're out of the cone you wouldn't know it from the weather this morning we're out of the cone so <laughs> I say when we were in the cone I was pretty confident it wasn't going to hit once they took us out of the cone now I'm nervous because <laughs> every time I don't know if you remember when they've told us a hurricane's going to hit us it was a magnificent day and when they told us don't worry it took a turn bam last minute we got walloped but anyway so Monday, Tuesday says the Gemara Kedushan one should have the attitude is this hurricane going to hit all of South Florida our merits and demerits are 50-50 it's unclear we lay in the bed the scales are even whether this hurricane is going to come rip the roofs off and suck the windows out and cause trees to fall on houses and cars it's 50-50 whether this hurricane is going to come hit South Florida and you know who makes the difference? me what I do today will determine whether this hurricane is going to hit now again whether that's true theologically philosophically that's not the point Gemara and Kedushan doesn't say whether it's true it says this is how we should motivate ourselves a person should, should create an image for themselves that the entire world's in the balance. I don't know what's going to be with Iran and Israel, but you know what's going to tip the scales to make the difference? Whether I get to shul on time today. Whether I speak this Lashon Hara. Whether I'm honest in paying my taxes. Whether I pay cash at this vendor because I'm going to get out of paying taxes. What I do, the choices I will face today, will have cosmic implications. That's what the Gemara says. So the Kliyakar says, if that's what the Gemara and Kedushin says, that a person should live life feeling that the small, petty, seemingly insignificant choices I will make today have cosmic consequences, if that's the attitude I'm supposed to lead in life, then that's why we go from Re'eh in the singular to Lefnechem, the plural. It means see the choices before you today and understand that they will have plural consequences. Understand that their consequences will be beyond just for you. They will affect the entire community. They will affect the entire world. See with the eye of your seichel that all of your actions are going to influence and affect the group. 
And the history in Zeb, the Parsha Zuba, the Beres, me in her Grizzam Areval, Kisham Nasu Ko Yisrael, Arivim Zeba Adze, Mitzar Haarvos Rabbim, this Pasim Ba'avon Ayachid. And why is this mentioned here specifically? Why is this the introduction to this Parsha? Because this Parsha has the blessings and the curses, Hagrizim and Areval. And what happened there? That is where we entered the contract of Ko Yisrael, Arivim Zeba Adze. That's where all of the Jewish people became guarantors one of the other. Not when we left Egypt. Not when we got the Torah. Not when we wandered through the desert. We became, the, our status as a nation progressed levels each of these seminal moments in history. But it was at Hargrizim and Har-Eval, at these mountains in Israel, past today, that we elevated to the status of becoming guarantors one for the other. And once we became guarantors one for the other, now you have to understand that your choice has cosmic implications. Kliyaka writes elsewhere, in the Mitzvah, he uses the imagery, we're all on a boat. So imagine we're all on a boat, we're on a cruise, and in my cabin I take out a drill, and I start to drill a hole in the floor. In my cabin. So they come to me, everyone on the boat, and they're ready to kill me. What are you, crazy? They try to plug up the hole. I said, what are you doing? I paid for this cabin. This is my cabin. I'm entitled to do what I want in my cabin. I paid for this seat. I'm drilling the hole into my seat. What do you? People say, what are you, out of your mind? But we're all in this boat together. You paid for that seat. You have your personal space. You have your personal cabin in the boat. But we're all in the boat together. And if you bring down the boat and the boat sinks, we're all going down together. That's called Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh. That we're all in the boat together. And the, the holes that I drill through my poor choices can sink the entire ship. That's the attitude we're to have to life. And that's why we go from the singular to the plural here. Okay, continuing. The curses if you don't listen. And then you are going to veer off the path. That I am commanding you again, by the way. Hayom. Hayom. We've seen Hayom, I think, three or four times already in the first three psukim. Hayom, Hayom, Hayom. Today, over and over again. It's Rosh Hashanah is about Hayom Hayom Hayom. Literally, we sing it. It's all Hayom Haras Holam Hayom. What's Rosh Hashanah about? It's about living in the moment. It's about understanding that life is about Hayom. It's about understanding that an attitude to Hayom will yield a life of either blessing or curse. If my attitude is Carpe Diem, seize the day for fun, pleasure, because who knows tomorrow hedonism and, and happiness, then I've, my life is a klala. And if my Hayom is in Loach Shavaimasa, if not now, when? Then my life is a blessing. So, if you veer off the path and instead you worship foreign gods, then your life is a curse. Pasuk Chavtes, verse 29. It will be when God brings you to the land that you are coming to in order to inherit it. He's going to give you the blessings on Mount Grizim and the curses on Mount Eval. Once you cross the Jordan and you're in Israel, one of the first things you'll do is divide and these blessings and curses, it's essentially a pep rally. Before you go to the big game called Conquering the Land of Israel, you're going to have a big national pep rally. And it's going to give excitement and it's going to give direction. What's the life worth pursuing and which is the one to be avoided? Says Rashi, Pasuk Chavtes, Al Har Grizim, 
Klape har grizim hofchim pneim. Towards har grizim, you're going to turn your face. Upaschu bebracha. Levim are going to open with a bracha. Baruch haisha shelo yaseh pesel lemasecha. Kol haarurim shebeparsha amru tchila belashon baruch. Ve'achik achaf lebenayim klape har eva lepaschu beklala. Curse, blessed is the person who does this, and the people would answer, Amen. Curse is the person who does that, and the people would answer, Amen. So when it says, you'll come to the land, and I'll be on these mountains, it means turning towards these mountains, where the people will be, and they will answer, Amen. So here now the Torah gives you a detailed description of where these places are. They're on the other side of the Jordan, far, in the direction of the sunset. Where does the sunset? <coughs> in the west. In the land of Canaan that dwells in the plains from the Gilgal near the plains of Moreh. Wow. That's a description. Why do we need such a detailed description? We've never been Never been there before, that's true. But it's like, okay, just you know, cross the Yardin, tell Yoshua where to lead the people, and, and arrive there. When they first go into the land of Israel, the first place they conquer is Yericho. You don't find this description there. Anything near this. Think about the detail here. Again, on the other side of the Yardin, far away, in the direction of the sunset, in the land of Canaan, that dwells in the plain, far from Gilgal, near the plains of Moreh. Wow. That's a lot of detail. So what's going on here? So, look at the Balaturim. Says the Balaturim, Pasuk Lamed. Until now they had the clouds. The clouds of glory overhead would lead the way. They followed their lead and they knew where to go. They had a divine GPS. But now the clouds were removed the merit that they had that earned the clouds is lost. They were removed. And supernatural existence is turning into a natural way of life. You no longer have clouds to lead the way. So now you had, now you have, um, now you need to be able to give these details. Now you need the details. Um, Yeah, so that's the Balaturim's explanation. The Kliyakar has a long comment here as well. Um, why they needed these details, and these all are references to places in Israel, um, which were recognizable. That's how they knew how to get around. But I like the Balaturim's, uh, the Balaturim's explanation. Okay, continuing Lamed Aleph. You are crossing the Yardin to come inherit the land that God is giving you. You're going to inherit it and you're going to not occupy it in a political sense. You're going to reside in it. Thank you. Not a tragedy that we can't use the word occupy anymore. You're going to dwell there. You're going to dwell there. Why do we have to reference Kiatem of Rimes Says Rashi, "Kiatem of Rimas Yarden, Nisim shall Yarden Yehiu Simim Biyedchem Shetavu Avetirshuas Arts." The miracle on the Jordan will be a symbol for you that you're going to come inherit the land. What miracle on the Yarden? First of all, what force? Why did Rashi have to say this? I mean, why can't it just be meaning the simple meaning? You're going to cross the Jordan River 
and you're going to come inherit the land. What does the Jordan River have to do with inheriting the land? It's a geographical place. Cross it and inherit the land. Why did Rashi have to get into the miracles of the Jordan? So look at the Sifsei Chachamim, super commentary on Rashi. It says the Sifsei Chachamim in Os Ayin. Why do you have to mention the Jordan River at all? Why didn't you just say, when you enter the land, to inherit and to, uh, and to dwell in it? Why do you have to say, when you cross the Yardin? What is the significance of the Yardin? Who cares about the Yardin? When, when you cross the Yardin. So Rashi says, Nisim shal Yardin. That was, the Sister Chachamim is telling us what was bothering Rashi. As we always say, Rashi's always responding to a question. He usually just gives the answer. It's like Jeopardy. We have to come up with the question. But he, uh, so what was the question? The question was, why mention the Yardin? Why not just say, when you enter the land? Why do we have to preface it with, when you cross the Yardin to enter the land? So Rashi gave an answer, that the miracles on the Yardin. What's the miracle on the Yardin? What miracle is going to take place on the Yardin? Oh, in Paragimel of Sefer Yoshua, the Navi tells us that when they enter the land, the Kohanim lead the way carrying the Aron, carrying the Ark with the Luchos. All of the people are behind. The Kohanim step foot when their feet, Kaf Raglachem, the Navi says, when the, when the bottoms of their feet touch the edge of the Yardin, it's split. Just like the sea split when we crossed it leaving Egypt, so to the Jordan split when we crossed it entering Israel. It split differently. The sea split forming at least the simple meaning is two columns. The Medrash says many more columns because each tribe crossed in their own lane, says the Medrash, Yamsuf. But the Yardane split making only one wall, one column. One wall was formed out of the water. We crossed. The Kohanim took 12 stones out of the river to create, uh, not the Kohanim, the a person from each tribe took a stone to later create a monument and a memorial to this miracle, which is in itself a big lesson, that when something miraculous happens, you need to do something to memorialize it. Otherwise, it will be lost upon you. Um, and then the Kohanim themselves set up a memorial in the Yardin, in the river. And then when the Kohanim stepped out of the river, the water went back. Now, maybe you'll think, well, what kind of miracle is that? I was in the Yardin this summer. I went rafting down the Yardin. And there were no white water... What do they call it? White water rafting? rafting. There was no white water because it was no... The river was low. It's very little. There are places of the Yardin where you could walk across it, stepping on little pebbles and stones. So you'll say, what's the big deal that it formed a wall? Big deal. So the Navi there in Yeshua says, when did they cross the Yardin? The 10th of Nisan, spring, after the rainy season. The Yardin, the Navi testifies, was filled. It was high. And yet it split. It was a miracle. The people knew that they were entering the land. So, and it was, it, was, it was confirmation of the miraculous nature through which they were going to inherit the land. Imagine, you're about to go into Israel and you're really nervous. There's no more clouds of glory. There's no more pillar of fire. There's no more man falling from heaven. There are no more wells miraculously providing you your water. Moshe Rabbeinu, the man who you think took you out of Egypt, is gone. You talk about nerve-wracking. That's nerve-wracking. How do they have any sense of confidence things are going to work out? So God ushers them in with a miracle to build their sense of confidence to know things are going to be okay. And that's this Pasuk. This Pasuk is predicting all of that. That's what Rashi is saying. In fewer words, but that's what Rashi is saying. So now reread that Pasuk. <clears throat> you are crossing the Yardin in a miraculous way that will let you know that you're inheriting the land that God gave you and you will... Dwell in it. You will reside in it. 
That's what's going on. And you should safeguard and keep all of the uh, ordinances that I am giving you. What word? Hayom. Hayom. Over and over and over again. By the way, Chazal sees something else in Hayom, which is that, which is that we should see every day that we study Torah and live Torah should be as if it's the, the day that we received it. It should be as if it's the day that we got it. Mepharshim say that. The Gemara says it. The Gemara says that every day should be, it should appear before you in your eyes every day as if it's new. That's what they understand from the usage of the word Hayom. Mm. It's like, you know, a bar mitzvah boy puts on tefillin, they're beyond excited for putting on tefillin that first time. Halavai, you're 30, 40, 70, 80 years old, you put tefillin on with the same excitement, Hayom. First time you lit Shabbos candles. The first time that you, whatever you did, it should be the same excitement. The learning Torah should be like the day that we received it. So that's the other interpretation of why Hayom is used over and over again. Because that's what Moshe said. What do you mean? Observe the mitzvahs I'm giving you today. What did you give us today? You gave us the Torah 40 years ago. The answer is no. Torah wasn't given 40 years ago. It was given 40 years ago, but it was also given today. My attitude, my feeling is as if it was given today. Um, okay. Let's continue a little bit further.
on the land. Why kol hayamim? It could have, I mean, again, extraneous words. Could have said here the mitzvahs to keep when you're living on the land. What do you mean kol hayamim? All of the years. Says the Orachayim, Nishavi Loma Shimish Murula Asosa Amur, Tiya Yurusha Shinasan Hashem Laham Nimshechas Kol Hayamim. If you follow these instructions, then you'll merit to be in Israel all the days of your life. And if you don't merit, if you don't follow these instructions, then the land of Israel will not tolerate you. You're not going to merit to be in Israel. So all of these, you will only merit to be in Israel if you're keeping what I tell you. Kol Hayamim. All the days of your life, you'll only be in Israel all the days of your life if you're keeping these instructions. If you're neglecting these instructions, you won't merit to be in Israel. So what are the instructions? Destroy all the places where idolaters worshipped their idols that you're going to inherit. On the... And where are, where are these places? Where are these idols? On the mountains, on the hills, under every leafy tree. In other words, everywhere. Israel was a land that was saturated with idolatry, with paganism. And now we're instructed when you go into Israel, you need to uproot it. You need to purge the land of that. And how do you do that? Break apart their altars. Mizbechosam. They're going to have altars that they worship on. Destroy them. Shibartim es matzevosam. Destroy, shatter, smash their images. The images, that they, their pillars. Ashrehem, the trees that they worship as gods. Tisrefun ba'ish, burn them down. Psilei alohehem, their actual idols. Tigadayun, cut them down. Vibartim es shemamina you need to utterly obliterate purge, remove this idolatry and paganism from your midst. This is the bane of our existence ever since then. We were instructed to enter Israel and to purge it of the idolatry and throughout our history all of Sefer Shoftim is the storyline of how we couldn't do it. We didn't do it. Not only Sefer Shoftim, we failed to do it because we thought we were expressing compassion and mercy and therefore we left. We left residual idolatry which later came back to haunt us even the great uh, Shaul HaMelech couldn't do it couldn't do it we continue to fail in this mission to utterly obliterate as the Torah commands us to obliterate these negative influences from our midst because the Torah understood if you leave even the hint of this negative influence it's going it's a cancer that will grow and grow and grow and it will poison the whole system the whole body so we were commanded to obliterate. But here's the contrast. What you're supposed to do to the idolatry and pagan, Pasuk Dalad, Lo sasun kein l'ashem elokeichem. Don't do that to the Lord your God. This, the Gemara learns, is the prohibition of erasing God's name. If you're supposed to erase the names of the, idol, of the idols and destroy the presence and the existence of the idol, Lo sasun kein, don't do that to God. What is it you're not supposed to do to God? So this is, Rabbi Yishmael teaches, this is the mitzvah, mechikas Hashem. You're not allowed to erase God's name. Now what exactly is God's name? Can you write G-O-D? Do you have to write G-D? Lord, Hebrew, English, God has many names. But this is the prohibition to, you can't throw God's name if God, Shemos, what we call Shemos. 
The word Shemos actually comes from the word shame, means one of God's names. Something is Shemos when it contains one's, one of God's names. And when it contains one of, one of God's names, you're not allowed to throw it away. And, uh, and that, is, um, that is learned from here. Lo sasun kain. You shall not do this to the Lord your God. This is what you shouldn't do. So that's learned, uh, that's learned from here. We are going to, I think we're out of time, so we're going to stop here. Actually, there was one more point I wanted yeah, to make. Yeah, so much added. 22. I know, but I'm out of time. <laughs> you may not be out of time, but I'm out of time. Um, should I make the one more point? No, we'll save the one more point for next year. We always have next year. Next year, Pasha's Re'ei. Mirz Hashem, B'li'ayin Hara. No hurricane next year, Pasha's Re'ei. All right, ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic Shabbos. Stay dry.